Welcome to the Everything EOS podcast. I'm Brandon Lovejoy. Today I'm joined by Janayad Iqbal, who is a new developer advocate with the ENF, the founder of NoDegree.com, and the host of the NoDegree podcast. I'm also joined by Liam Buckley, who's co-founder of Corduroy Earth and the Telos Culture BP on the Telos Network, and now joins us at the ENF as communications manager, along with yours truly. So great to have both of you guys here today. Thanks for having us. Yeah, I'm excited. Sweet. Yeah, we thought maybe it'd be a good time to introduce a couple new faces to the to the EOS community. And um, both of you have really interesting backgrounds. We can get into those one at a time. And then I think we have a lot to to dive into besides besides that. Janayad, um, let's start with you. So you got hired through a tweet, I hear. So yeah. what's that all about? Yeah, 2022 was one of those years where you just get for me, I got like just kicked, you know, 2020 and 2021 were good years, just like business wise and everything. But I had a business partner resign in 2022, just a lot of things going on. So I was like, let me go back into the traditional workforce. And I was applying. I got some interviews, but you had pulled positions and all that stuff. So I was building on Twitter for a year. So in October, I made a tweet saying, hey, Twitter, I need your help. One of my dreams role is to become a developer advocate. And I explained my background. I said, look, I have 37,000 followers on LinkedIn. I have the Twitter. But I was like, I don't come from a very technical background. I used to be an actuary. So I can study hundreds of hours for exams. But I was like, I got the equipment. I have a podcast. So I want to come in from that angle. Because as I was going through looking at jobs, I was looking at product manager jobs and developer advocate jobs. And I was like, I'd love to be a developer advocate. But it required like two to three years or even more of development experience, API experience. And I was like, crap. I wish I had three to six months of just nothing but, you know, learning how to code or learning that. But I just didn't have the time because, I, you know, running a business. And I made a tweet. My boss, Nathan, saw it and I got hired. And thankfully, I had what the ENF was looking for. And I'm, join, I'm joining a great crew. Yeah, so you joined the team at Developer Relations with Nathan James. And you have a pretty substantial following on LinkedIn. You have a really successful, I would say, podcast. No degree. I guess tell us a little bit about no degree and what that's all about, and yeah, how how you got into uh, LinkedIn and what made you what made you like focus on that. Yeah, so nodegree.com is a career platform for people without college degrees because, as you know, if you don't have a college degree, for certain companies, there's a stigma like, oh, you're not as smart, you couldn't complete something, but it's complex. There are plenty of smart people without college degrees, and there are also plenty of dumb people too. So it's not like it's not like if you don't have a degree, but the same goes for people with degrees. I'm pretty sure you've worked with people with degrees who are absolutely brilliant. And then there's some you're like, what? You couldn't really put anything together and they're terrible to work with. And so I launched the podcast because I was like, there's so many stories of people without degrees that I'd love to share. Why don't I start a podcast and interview them? And I've had UFC fighters. I've had strippers, bouncers. I've had all types of different people. I've had people who worked at great companies, people who worked at small companies. As a result of that, I'm not a big social media guy, funny enough. Well, before I was. But when you have a small company, you want to like get on social media to build network and connections. And I sort of really enjoyed it. Now, why did I choose LinkedIn? I think people online, I somehow realized that LinkedIn had good organic reach. This was like February 2019. I was on Instagram and I was like, well, on Instagram, I'm competing with like 
beautiful women, models, rappers, celebrities, musicians. On LinkedIn, I'm competing with accountants. I was like, I can beat accountants easily. And that's how I got started on LinkedIn. And I met a lot of good people and I ended up having a live show. So that's how I got into being comfortable live streaming and all that. And then eventually I grew my LinkedIn. I had it at 37,000. And then I was like, you know what? Let me start being active on Twitter. And I took my LinkedIn experience. I adjusted it for the Twitter environment to make it different because you can't just be the same person on LinkedIn. You have to be punchier, quicker. You have to have much thicker skin and you have to know the environment. So I adapted and I'm having fun. Awesome. It's a fascinating, fascinating journey you've had to come here to the to EOS and free and developer relations. Let's dive into that a little bit more in a minute. Liam, sounds like you got some, you have a festive environment there in the background. It's very fun. You, you, yeah. you, come, from a, you come from kind of a musical family, huh? You've got like, you're a, you're a sound, an audio engineer, aren't you? Is that? Yeah, I relate to what Janaid was saying about not having gone to post-secondary for what your career is. I went to school for audio engineering, music production, music industry arts. I'm a musician, singer, songwriter, grew up in a really musical household, and music's still a really big part of who I am and what I want to do. But more in recent years, I found myself uh, drifting into the marketing side of things that actually came out of being a music journalist. And from there, I got into you know, different types of copywriting for growth, SEO blogging, stuff like that. And um, down the line, took both my uh, video audio background and my blogging background, and then combined the two to get into content creation and content marketing. I'm also somebody who, in my personal life, I'm not on social media at all. I'm very bad at keeping up with messages with friends and stuff like that. Like I'm someone who likes to be in person to hang out. But like Janaid says, if you run a business or you want to have kind of a personality online, it's a really important thing to know about. And so, yeah, it's it's ironic, I guess, that I work in social media marketing and content creation, but I try to distance myself from social media as much as possible in my personal time. But yeah, in recent years, then. It was about a year and a half ago or so, a little more than that. I think February, March of last year, I found out about Web3 and then having a background in music, got really excited about just what it meant for the creative industries and the creative arts. And so, yeah, kind of took my skills and applied them to the space, got really heavily involved in the Telos network in their marketing department there, working with community relations. And I was the head of community relations and growth there. For 2021. And then just this year, founded the Telos Culture PP. And so, yeah, we were was working on that for the past uh, half a year or so. Founded that with some other people from the Telos ecosystem, Brian C., Jenna Bjornsson, Thomas Sayers, Evan Wass, really great friends of mine and business partners in Corduroy Earth, which is my digital media company. And then found out really just through the Antelope Coalition about everything that's going on in the EOS ecosystem. It was initially actually an interview between Douglas Horn, who's the leader in Telos, was the author of the Telos White Paper, and Eve. It was like a joint interview. They were talking about everything that's going on in the ecosystem and on EOS and how it's evolving and got really excited. And then, yeah, reached out, got involved, and here I am. Cool. Long winding road to Life. Long and winding road. Yeah. It's, I think it's really interesting how everybody finds their way into Web3 because it's, it's such a new and emerging industry. There is no 
degree in it, right? You just kind of have to find your way into it one way or another. So I think everybody has an interesting history on how they got into it and, you know, what attracted them to it in the first place. Yeah, definitely. That's that's one area that's always kind of funny to me is when people are looking for university programs on a blockchain or, you know, any of this stuff. I'm like, well, we're just, we're such at the bleeding edge of what's happening that the curriculum is just outdated by the time that anyone's teaching it. So you pretty much just have to jump in with both feet and and experience it. So I guess my next question and what I thought we could kind of focus on a little bit for the duration of our hour plus together today is what even is marketing in the Web3 era? I mean, it's such a different phenomenon than, you know, your classic traditional marketing process that, you know, the the bygone era of industry reaching consumers, right? And so, Janaid, you're you're in the the DevRel side of things, but you know, and and so the DevRel De- developer relations is focused on reaching new developers, bringing them into the ecosystem. And you can say more about that than I'll probably be able to articulate. And of course, Liam's on the comms side, but both of you are functionally doing comms, and both of you are kind of functionally marketing in a sense, but just to different audiences, different focuses. So. Janiyat, I don't know what's what's your take on how developer relations like fits in with this scheme of Web three and marketing and all and all that. Yeah, so I spend a lot of time on LinkedIn and Twitter, more on Twitter nowadays, just because that's where that's what I'm focused on building, and that's where a lot of the people in Web three are. So for me, it's making the ecosystem more friendly to beginners because if you're advanced you can read the white papers, you can understand it. But if you're not, it's like listening to Spanish if you don't understand Spanish. You may understand a few words here and there. And so one of the things I love about Web3 is the fact that a lot of people don't have degrees or they have degrees that are totally unrelated. So you end up getting people who are really passionate about it. Because you had Liam, he started a community. You have me who, I love Web3 because it's like, you can't have 20 years experience in it. And if someone says they have 20 years experience, they're lying, right? They're going to scam you and they're going to do a rug pull on you. So you have to be careful about that. So one of the things that I have a goal with is I want to bridge the gap between Web 2 and Web 3. Because right now I feel like there's a wall. Like Web 3 people, they tend to be like, yes, yes, it's going to whatever Bitcoin to the moon. I remember like the predictions were like 100K. It's going to be like a million, all these predictions. And then Web 2 have scammy, scammy, scammy. What is this new technology? But I think the reality is somewhere in the middle where, hey, there's a use case is still growing, it's still developing. It has a lot of room for growth. And I think when you have a lot of room for growth, you get so many great people together. And so I approach it for let's be honest about it. Let's not necessarily talk about things are going to blow up next month. Let's talk about, hey, what's actually going on, what we can do, where do we have problems, what can we do better? Because we had the recent FTX stuff and it's like, right, how do you prevent that from happening? How do you identify that? Because people get scared, right? Imagine you had your tokens and now you don't, you can't access them and all that. And that's a significant amount of money. And I'm talking to someone, I lost 18,000 in crypto in 2017. And I've known about people who lost more. So I just want to make it more friendly, educate people more about the ecosystem so that people are not as scared and people realize like, what can you do other than NFTs? Because just people will have NFTs and they won't really understand what they are, what the use cases are. 
and then people buy them and then it drops in value and then they think it's a scam. But it's like, hey, you know what? If they went in with more education, they would understand how to navigate the space properly. For sure. Yeah, I, I agree that like education, I think, is the most important thing really for us to get right as projects and builders in the space first as we move to like mass adoption, right? Because there are going to be so many people coming into the space who don't know how to navigate it. And so I think really thinking about the broader lay audience, at least the current stage that the Web3 industry is in, thinking about lay audiences is probably more important than it has been in the past, right? When things were more proof of concept, still trying to find you know product market fit. And, and now that we're in a place where we're starting to see a lot of real world applications, it is the projects, I think, that appeal to those lay audiences and everybody who's left to come in down the adoption curve that are going to jump ahead of competitors. So I think that is totally, I totally agree with just the education thing being super important. Another thing I think for me, when I think about marketing in Web3, I mean, it's not just marketing in Web3. I think about this a lot of just like, what is marketing in like a post-industrial world? So you had like industrial era marketing, which was you know, advertising, essentially, right, coming up with campaigns where you put a bunch of dollars behind some type of product. And, and you just play the numbers game, okay, if we spend this much, we can get this product in front of this many people, and x amount of people are going to purchase it. And then we'll make, you know, this amount of money on it. And, and that's just an equation that you can keep doing more and more. But when you you look at a lot of like prominent marketers, like Seth Godin, I'm a really big fan of him, he talks about how that's not really a a sustainable model anymore because it becomes a race to the bottom, right? You're just trying to make your product cheaper and cheaper. And there's always going to be someone who can do something cheaper. And so really where marketing is now, to me, it's about building communities and and culture around projects and and products and finding what those communities are, like appealing to people outside of the highest common denominator, zeroing in on that and not necessarily pivoting their attention, but just elevating something that's going to appeal to them within that community. That's why you see things like influencer marketing or in Web3, you know, I, I see the communities as being extremely, extremely important, right? And I think that's something that's very, you can take that and really run with that in Web3 because communities are so innately just involved in the projects, right? At like a grassroots level, almost like what you would see in like a grassroots kind of local community in like a like a local town, right? And so, yeah, those are kind of my, I guess, two thoughts on it. But yeah, I really think a lot of it comes down to community and just building culture around projects. Yeah, he's spot on with that. And I think that's where Web3 will shine in the community-based marketing because you see a lot of these organizations, they're so far removed from the average consumer. You have someone mm-hmm. in a suit in an office who makes like whatever, 10 times more than 10, 20 times more than the consumer thinking about, oh, if I were a consumer, whereas in Web3, you can actually interact with a lot of the founders. You can actually interact with a lot of the community. You can be on the ground, right? It's like you don't see people from large organizations on Twitter spaces like that, right? But in Web3, you'll find the founder of many projects, many startups. You can actually talk about it. Based on what I've seen, a lot of marketing organizations don't understand community because now in the past year or two, you've seen a lot of community manager roles. And it's like, that's a role that should have existed before because mm-hmm. communities always existed in some shape or form. But what happened in the past, it was all sort of scattered throughout forums and all that. Reddit has kind of changed things in being like, hey, let's go to the subreddit for a token and all that. And I think Web3 companies are really realizing that we need the communities. 
because they're the ones who feedback. They, they're the ones who fund us. They're the ones who market us. And you have the advantage of you'll have people who are like, hey, I want to support this ecosystem because I can see the founder. I can see how transparent they are. And that's why that's one of the things I, I want to do. It's like I want to be on the ground where it's like you can catch me at a conference. You can catch me in a tour space. You can catch me even in a DM. Totally. And I think beyond like the users in the community, this is just to bring it back to, you know, the DevRel side of things, right? A big part of the community is the builders because a protocol with nothing built on it is pretty useless, right? Yeah, like, there's nothing else. to do there. So uh, yeah, I think that's a really big part of it too. It does feel like you're, you're uh, it, I don't know, I take it back to that like analogy of a, of a city, right? I think where yeah you're you're building infrastructure and building things for people to do there so the developer community is also huge as well so let's bring this all back to eos then web3 space communities are pretty non-fungible right and we've seen that with different situations so far i don't know if you two are familiar with the whole situation with uh, steam and hive um that's a whole history to unpack there but the you know the community can just up and migrate mm -hmm. you can't you can't really just take, you can't buy the underlying technology and think that you've also bought the community because communities can migrate. And um, yeah, so attracting and, and keeping that community engaged and, and bringing the education component. Um, how do you see this playing out in, in EOS and, and maybe like even with the expansion of the entire Antelope ecosystem around it, whoever wants it? Yeah, I can take a stab at that. I mean, I do think the power of like where EOS is at and the whole antelope ecosystem is the fact that really there's this new community forming around the antelope text, right? And that's really cool to see because it'll be easier for all ecosystems within the like antelope community to scale, right? Because You've now got a user base who's from the, the, the people who know how to navigate Telos or Wax will also know how to navigate EOS and so on. So it's it's not like a competitive thing. That's not the way I look at it, right? I think it's a net positive to just, as we each individually grow our communities, um, people will start to, you know, cross collaborate and, and, and move between ecosystems. And, you know, from an economic standpoint, that's a really beneficial thing. And I think beyond that, another good thing that's really cool to see within the EOS ecosystem is this sort of bottom-up like community empowerment that's happening with things like Pomelo grant framework and, and this, which is essentially taking people into the ecosystem and, and giving them the tools, the resources they need to, you know, form a, a career for themselves, build their own sub-communities, create a DAO, whatever. And, and that just becomes this kind of, you know, which what I'm looking for, that becomes this like net positive, like bottom up growth where one community leader is bringing in all of their friends in their community and then they're bringing in more people, right? So the network effects, I think, are very cool. And then the fact that those network effects can scale across all of our ecosystems is, I think, going to be super huge and it's going to be pretty exponential in, in the growth that we do see, if, that, if any of that makes sense. Well, I understood it. To expand on that network effect is... And I'm going to keep going back to community that you have to, one of the things about community is being transparent. So in like for developer relations, I'm not just going to only promote EOS because then it's, I'm going to come across as bias if I only talk EOS and all that. And it, if there's another 
project that someone's doing or to highlight something, some advancement, then that's too much of like marketing, right? Traditional marketing, where it's like you only highlight your things, you don't necessarily talk about them. So I want to get people from all different backgrounds together on different chains and all that, and then have discussions like, hey, what are the updates? What are pros and cons? And then because there are some chains that are better for certain things. There are some chains that are maybe better for privacy, maybe better for security. There are some chains that are faster, cheaper. And it's good to have those discussions. And then when you're transparent, and you know that's why we want to make it so that EOS is that community that's very transparent, supportive. People will just organically gravitate towards EOS because they're like, hey, the team is really supportive, organic. They're not like, screw all tokens. We're the absolute best. If you just kind of talk and say, hey, here's what we do well. Here's what we're doing. Here are the goals. Here's what other people are doing well. I think there's a good portion of the Web3 community that really appreciates that because that's not common. Because every time I read about something like a token, it's always like, we're the best. This is going to destroy this industry or this token. It's going to do this. It's going to kill Bitcoin. It's going to kill Ethereum. But if you approach it from different, you tend to get better users, less of those hype users. Because those hype users, when the price isn't what they want, when something isn't what they want, overnight, they'll leave. But when you have actual users who understand the technology, understand the infrastructure, support it, and are part of the community, those are ones that stay. And those are the ones that contribute the most because they know. Because there are so many people who, if you ask them about a token, they can't really tell you much. They just know the price. But there's so much more to a token than the price. Yeah, I think there's this like web, really a web two mentality of like competitiveness in a lot of projects. And I think when you first get into the space, you approach it in that way too, right? Of like, you're looking for whatever is going to be the most powerful tech stack out there that's going to beat everything. And then the more and more you you look into it, the more and more you study these different chains, you realize that everyone's working on different problems, right? And, and like you say, Janai, everyone, every project has its own strengths and you need that, right? And I think going back to the community side of things, this is just my personal perspective, right? From a cultural standpoint, all chains can thrive just because of the community and the cultures that surround them, right? And, and those relationships that form. So even if all things were equal, and they aren't, but if all things were equal, in my opinion, all ecosystems would be in a place where they, they can thrive. Now, that doesn't mean necessarily that they're going to be the best and the biggest and the greatest, but I, I tend to approach Web3 from a, a place where that's not necessarily the end goal, right? It is about kind of improving our communities, improving our technology in a way that lifts people up and empowers them and creates stronger relationships between the people interacting in them. And so, yeah, I think, yeah, I don't know, that, that, that's kind of okay. where, where I'm at on things. And I think a simple quote would be, I'm of the mentality of rising tide lifts all boats. So if you have more money into the ecosystem, I know we had Polygon raise lots of money and I don't see it as bad for you. That's like, hey, it's good for Polygon. It's good for more people entering the system, more awareness and stuff that benefits everyone as a whole. So I don't think Web3, we have to move away from the zero sum game where it's like, hey, if this thing goes up, that means it's it's okay. That's how it should work. Totally. I feel like we've been we've been kind of, well, Many of us have been fighting against that sort of zero-sum mentality in this space for a long time now, and I really feel as though the space is almost defined by that us versus them thing, which always strikes me as a bit odd, considering like our roots are in this sort of new decentralized modality that doesn't need to be that way and doesn't need to kind of reproduce the old model. And it's interesting that we're in a position where community and inclusivity and openness 
is actually kind of a unique selling point if you think about it's you know we're we're not in that like run faster jump higher you know model we're in the you know let's go further together way of doing things with with web3 so i understand there's a tension there between you know like what is our competitive advantage as a as a blockchain or as a business building on a particular blockchain I mean, it might be a little easier for that to be defined for or individual applications than it is for the actual infrastructure layer to, to even to figure that out among other competing infrastructures. But EOS has a really interesting opportunity to be that inclusive gathering place for you know many many chains to kind of come together. And I think I think we have a lot to explore there yet. Yeah. One thing I want to add is that imagine someone comes to someone in EOS and it's like, hey, I want to develop this application that has XYZ features and my goal is ABC. Now, if someone in EO says, hey, you know what? You're actually better off developing on this because based on what you did, your level of expertise, what your goals are, that's better. Think about how like good that person would be like, wow, they were the trusted advisor and they told me what to do. Like They'll always remember that. And if someone comes to them, they'd be like, hey, you know what? Go to EOS. Now, if we told them, hey, do this, and then they develop the application, and then they realize, like, I should have done it like this. They just have this animosity, time wasted, and all that. And I think there's so much power in that. Because I'm pretty sure all of us, sometimes you've referred people to your competitors. And what ends up happening is you end up getting a community member for life. And that's something that's not easy to do. Yeah, I mean, if we want to take it back to more of like a a traditional like marketing sense, like whether you're a business or whatever, like just being honest with customer builds loyalty, right? And so if you're trying to dodge around a question, you know, in any industry and, and take people away from something that's going to solve their problem better, then when they realize that, you know, you are doing that or come to that realization, then you've kind of lost a customer that way. If, you, if you're honest and, and this is something that works with brick and mortar businesses too, yeah. right? Like, oh, hey, we don't have this thing in stock. Go up the street, they're going to have it or they'll get it to you at a better price or they'll have a, you know, just head this way for this thing. Well, then there's a good chance those people are going to come to you again next time they have a problem because you solved their problem. And, you know, it's not like every time someone comes to you with a problem, you're going to be pointing them elsewhere for it. More often than not, you know, the solution is going to be within your project or your your business, right? So yeah, I think just being honest with customers, community members builds loyalty in the long run. I feel pretty spoiled because I came into the antelope ecosystem post like a very like tribalistic era, I think, right? Like when I talked to some of the OGs in the space, like there was a lot of tribalism between the different antelope chains, you know, even three years ago, right? And like I said, I got in maybe middle of last year and it was just a few more months after that, I believe that Eve started to Bitcoin with the Antelope Coalition. And I don't envy, I, I guess, uh, what he was up against to build these relationships with these different networks and to, to start to build that broader sense of community. I think he's done it in a really amazing way. And I, I can't imagine it was um, it was easy, right? And so, but we've seen that, right? I think that since we've sort of stepped away from that tribalism and found way more ways to collaborate through things like the Antelope Coalition, it's been a net positive for all of our communities. And I think it goes beyond just the Antelope tech stack into other tech stacks that are out there, like, you know, Ethereum Solidity community. Like I can speak based on my experience in the Telos ecosystem when we launched the, the Telos EVM and, and soon on EOS, we're going to have the Trust EVM, right? It opens you up to a massive community 
of developers and, and builders and projects and users that you would have never had exposure to if you hadn't have embraced that tech stack and embraced, you know, these uh, this whole other community that's out there. And it's not doing it in a way to me that it's like, oh, we're competing and we're, you know, we're going to beat these other ecosystems. It's really doing it in a way that we're creating a bridge to allow that technology to come be part of a community as well, right? And yeah, so I think uh, there's a lot that we can just see that sort of proves this narrative of how important communities are in cross-collaboration just in, in, in the past year alone. And just the juxtaposition of where the ecosystem is now and where it was, you know, three years ago when there was really that strong tribalism there. For sure. Yeah. Like I think there's always the tendency to, to fear, you know, if we open things up, if we build the bridge, you know, people might cross the bridge and then stay on the other side. And, you know, there's always that, that danger with bridges, but if you're confident you're building value and your community is, is strong, then I think, you know, the bridge is a good thing and more bridges are better. And we're going to have like more, you know, commerce and, inner you know exchange between all the different parties involved and all the different players and people uh, remember that they crossed that bridge right they remember like who helped them cross that path some people will come back mm -hmm. as opposed to having people who don't necessarily want to stay on the island and just feel like i hate this place i want to go across but there's nothing to get me across they won't let me leave <laughs> they keep telling me there's nothing out there but i know there is yeah, yeah not not exactly a environment like super conducive to a happy community for sure. Jeanette, I wanted to ask you about, um, I don't know, we wanted to get Nathan James on today. I have a feeling we'll get him here in a bit. I know he's really busy trying to get the dev portal up and, and in action. Is there anything that you want to share from the dev developer relations side of things on, on EOS? I, mean, I know you're probably not like able to to talk out of class as it were, but, um, I don't know what, what makes you excited about like, um, DevRel, what, what you guys are currently cooking up and yeah. the impact it's going to have on EOS. Yeah. There's some things I could share. So we're working on like a twice a week Twitter space where we're going to talk. I'm not going to share the title. It's a very interesting title that I don't want anybody to steal and just bring really people together. I'm going to interview people on other chains can to talk about why are they developing on the chain why they chose it to get some insight just so other people can know so that's my current goal and really focusing a lot on twitter i know things are a little shaky but i i think the communities will still be okay you know because the communities are sort of different parts of twitter so and yeah, just really excited to just build relationships. And you know, the funny thing is I was looking at people on other chains and some of them I went to high school with. And so it's really interesting to hmm. just catch up in different contexts. That's wild. I'm I'm old enough where like I can't, I probably can't say that. Like <laughs> I don't think many of my high school classmates are in blockchain at all. <laughs> I kind of envy that position. So, all right. So a little Twitter space action coming up. Any other, any other fun stuff? No, the rest is like internal stuff. And then we're focusing on like education because the current stuff we have very technical. So I want to make it more just friendly, more videos, have t Twitter spaces on, you know, with different people in the team so that people can just learn about the different opportunities in blockchain. Because when people think blockchain, they think a programmer, right? That, but they don't realize there's contracts, there's marketing, community is a hot area. So there are so many areas that 
you have. And the beauty of blockchain is you tend to get people who are really passionate about it. So you'll have people with a legal background, but they're really passionate about blockchain. Now they can bring that expertise to blockchain. You have people who are in marketing, you have people in consulting. So I'm really excited for that and just really want to get those people in in a space and talking because when passionate people talk and they come together, interesting and cool things happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's always like that unexpected synergy that occurs. Liam, do you have any thoughts on the interplay between like DevRel and marketing and comms or what the relationship of those three things even is in EOS? Yeah, I think it's interesting because yeah, they are very related, right? Like there's a Venn diagram there, right? <laughs> they all kind of intersect in the center. Um, I think on the marketing comms side, in, in the short term, really what we're doing is just establishing processes, right? To make sure that communications is as clean as it can be. And that's not just for, you know, users and projects. It's also for developers as well. So there's a lot of, like you say, interplay between our our two teams. But I think the long-term goal really is just to look at how, from a communication standpoint, at least, we improve communications and communications is a two-way street, right? It's getting information out to the community about what's going on behind the scenes in a quick and efficient way. And then also figuring out how we run events, things like this Twitter spaces or the US Fireside chats that can allow us to field input from the community and get that back to the team that's doing the work behind the scenes. So that's really where I fit into things and you fit into things too. I think Brandon is yeah, just making sure that communications are as efficient as possible. And yeah, because we're a small team right now, marketing falls into that, developer relations, all that is kind of wrapped up into what we do because they're all parties that we want to communicate with. Yeah, for sure. It's a very small number of people carrying an incredibly large number of hats right now, which has been the case since we began this journey with the ENF. So, But it, now that it's grown to include yourself and, and we've got Patty, our CMO, and everybody and and nathan james heading up devrel it feels like a like a really cool i don't know like a like a big family and i'm really looking forward to those synergies between the different the different groups that are because what we're working on is so you know mutually beneficial i think to the community and and i think you raise a really good point too and that's an area i'd like to see us improve is is just on getting feedback from the community as well and finding new ways to to hear from people because I'm just one person and I can only hear and talk to so many people in a given day. But that that is kind of one of the defining features of, of Web3 is that that input and interplay between between the participants and the the builders and the you know like all the different uh, roles that people have. It's it's not so clearly delineated as it is in a traditional org. So we have a lot totally. of pioneering to do there. Yeah, we're in a good place right now in the whole Web3 industry in general, because it's still relatively small, right? Like it could feel huge at times, but it's still a pretty unique mm-hmm. niche. And so it can be easy for us, I think, in the ENF to cater to all the communities across the EOS ecosystem. But I'm interested to see how that evolves as things grow, right? As millions of people enter the space and as all these different projects start to spring up, really we'll just start to see sub-communities, I think, right? And that goes back to that idea of not trying to cater to all people, but just cater to the you know, group of people that 
are most related to what you're doing in the space. And so, yeah, it'll be interesting for me to see how we continue being efficient in our communications as things grow, as they inevitably will. Yeah, I think one thing that Web3 will have and that I want to do with Nathan is scaling community. Because it's one thing you have 30 to 200, 300, even 1,000 members. Now, what if you have 10,000? How do you still maintain that community feel without, you know, ignoring them and just being just fair so that they're like, I'm proud? Because I've seen some where people say, I have a community of 600K. It's like, no, you don't. Like, you just can't. But some people actually do a good job of making it feel like a community. So I'm excited for that. I think what's unique about Web3, again, and to bring it back to what we were talking about with things like Pomelo, right, is like with Web3, you're able to give, people are able to graduate really from being a community member to a community leader. And then they're able to get resources to, you know, grow a community around them, whether that's through the form of a DAO or a project or something else or an artist, that's where we'll start to see these exactly like you're saying, Janaya, community scale. And I think it's way more effective than it is in Web 2, just because of the, the fact that people can go out there and get a grant and get resources more efficiently than they can to grow that community than they might be able to in the, the Web 2 world. And you said the you said the magic word that I was really wanting to bring up, DAO. Um, <laughs> and, and that maybe we can bring it bring it home on this topic because I and we could probably spend a whole hour talking about this topic, but it seems like oh, well, on EOS in particular, and certainly throughout the entire space, but you know, many communities in the Web3 space are experimenting with different structures of DAOs right now. And, and on EOS, we have Eden and recently uh, Haifa DAO um, kind of entered the picture and received a, a large grant from the ENF to, to integrate their tools. Um, and offer that as a service on, on EOS. So I think we'll see really interesting tooling for DAOs on EOS, um, robust and pretty easy to use. Um, Eden uh, is our homegrown DAO solution and it's, um, you know, it's finding its way. It's definitely, no one ever said it was going to be easy. It's definitely been a um, an interesting journey thus far, um, trying to figure out how to, you know, effectively scale, you know, democracy or scale input of many people in a meaningful way. So I guess if I have a question in all this, it's just um, like, what do you think the role of the DAO is in scaling community involvement in the Web3 space and, and, and with, you know, marketing not being like such a straightforward path to like, from, from like industry to consumer Whereas now we have like these layers of involvement and, and stake and even, um, yeah, people being like more or less skin in the game, you know, w- with the projects that they're, they're involved in, like how do DAOs fit into this whole equation? There's so many places I could start, right? Yeah. <laughs> the thing I want to talk about first, I think, is that EOS as a whole is a DAO, right? Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. When you look at the base layer at how like consensus is formed through delegated proof of stake like that's a form of governance i think going back to this like the strengths in different types of technology different types of DAOs are a good thing too right like different types of reaching consensus because it builds out like anti-fragility kind of in our ecosystem where you have you'll start to have parties who are parts of multiple DAOs, right and can 
that builds out strength as well. Like it's really interesting to see how how these communities can grow and then reach a point and then essentially, you know, the Haifa way is after you reach 150 participants, you need to form a sub DAO, right? And specialize. And this this new model just makes it easier for people to coordinate essentially and, and scale what they want to do and grow and, and maybe find their niche as the ecosystem grows. Uh, I don't know if that is maybe as clear of an answer as I'm looking for. Again, there's so many DAOs, like you'd spend two hours on this topic. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's what I that's what I started the question with. It was like, but I guess if I had to reformulate the question to make it really concise, I would say, are DAOs the secret sauce for scaling Web3? I would say mm-hmm. that they play a part in scaling community. Because if you think about any other ecosystem to really cause change and impact, You have to be involved with the companies or you just need to have a lot of influence. Whereas with DAOs, it's like you can have influence on actual things, on actual movements, on actual development, on actual decisions without necessarily being a part of any of the companies. You can just be a passionate member and cause impact. And I think that's going to be a big advantage of Web3 and DAOs. Because if you look at like any of these large companies, like a Google, Facebook, Twitter, if you wanted to influence it, other than, yeah, you could be the one consumer that's like, I'm going to close my account. I don't like the way this, but it's like, they'll still be okay. But if you wanted to influence Web3, you can join a DAO, you can join a community, you can actually do things and you can actually get on the radar because it allows people to participate in a way that they have never been able to before. Yeah, that's a really good point. The way it scales participation is huge, right? Because someone can come in and just be a community member and say, oh, I want to vote on some proposals, right? And have my voice heard and take part in the discourse. And then from there, it grows to, well, maybe I want to be involved in this proposal as, as a contributor. And then it's, oh, well, I've got my own proposal I want to push for, right? And so, and it's going to be a new DAO. And so that way that people can just come into the ecosystem and very organically scale their involvement. I think is, like you say, part of the secret sauce. And I think there's a lesson that all organizations can take away from DAO, DAOs, right? Like, I think we we tend to look at DAO needing to be super decentralized and super autonomous, but there's just stuff that we can learn about empowering people, giving people autonomy to take their skills and, you know, run with them that we can apply to any organization, even just a traditional corporation. I mean, like, in the ENF, right, we're a centralized entity, but a lot of us tend to work in our own little subgroups. And within that, you know, the workers, this is just like remote work environments, kind of 101, right? And where we are now as a society. So yeah, I, I think both the DAOs and then kind of the lessons that we can learn from DAOs and, and take to our traditional organizations are going to be part of the secret sauce. It's more of a mentality thing. Cool. Yeah. The more I think about this, the more I think like maybe the DAO is the technology that is like the the plow of the of this of this current era. You know, it's like the the projects, the blockchains, the you know that can leverage this tool in order to scale participation effectively, the most effectively, kind of will have the greatest advantage, right? Mm-hmm. You could say, well, hierarchies are the most effective means of being like efficient and directing resources like really rapidly but that only gets you maybe so far when it comes to engaging 
masses of people you can't you can't top down that you have to find a way to to bottom up that in and make it so that it scales so i think maybe whoever's whoever solves the the dao the riddle of the dao and making it functionally effective for communities fastest might be you know coming out ahead in the web3 world and i don't think any one person will solve it i think it's just going to be a natural evolution because it's something new right it's one of those things that if you look at tech as a whole the salaries i think after like 2017 that's when they just started skyrocketing and been pandemic right but the web has been around right you had like 95 to 96 and then 2000 you had the dot com bubble but then it took like another 20 years for things to be in this current shape or form right just it just takes time i do think it may not take the same amount of time just because we have much more knowledge we have much more resources technology is just different than it was 20 years ago, but it, it just takes time, right? We're going to see DAOs that work, DAOs that don't work, the use cases where it's really effective, the use cases where it's like, hey, you know what? There still needs to be some way of figuring out like why it went wrong or how do we solve this problem? So I think there are many problems to solve, and I think different people will solve different parts of the problem, and then we're slowly going to figure out like, hey, how do we sort of bring all these solutions together? Yeah. And I think the, the strength is that you don't have to be a member of just one DAO in this space, right? The same way you need to just, you work for just one company, right? And so like that builds out more strengths across all the protocols in that it isn't just going to be one shotgun solution, right? Certain community members and certain people will feel you know, more akin to using one type of way of reaching consensus and some others another way. And then there's a way that those two DAOs will come to a joint consensus as well, right? So I think variation is actually a strong thing in, in the DAO space, especially as it's evolving and we're trying to figure out, you know, what works the best and what's the strongest for everybody involved. Yeah, definitely. It's really cool to see all the different models being experimented with right now, as painful as it can be at times if you're actually participating in a DAO. And, and trying to find a, a coherent way forward with your fellow participants. But yeah, diversity of approaches definitely has a lot going for it. I mean, one, one group may find solutions that the other group hasn't even begun to consider. This has been a very good episode of the Everything EOS podcast. I'm really excited to do more of these going forward. We'll talk about different topics. If any of you want to suggest any topics, want to be more involved, we'll be doing different things both on Twitter and the podcast. We'll have it in the show notes of how you can contact us and reach out to us. But we're excited to just talk different things about community, about development, so that you can stay updated on the EOS ecosystem and the supporting infrastructure around us. Brilliant. Go EOS. Go EOS. Go EOS.